I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Titus, chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, the sermon is entitled this morning, Faith at Work. Faith at Work. Titus chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 9 and 10. This is the word of the Lord. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we are continuing in our series, Ordinary Christian Living. And the sermon is entitled, Faith at Work. In this letter, Paul gives Titus a plan for evangelism. Not a program or a marketing campaign or a way to get a big budget or find money. But rather, ordinary Christians like you and I, living ordinary lives supernaturally with their own families, will have a significant Christ-exalting gospel influence on their neighbors. Paul gives three purpose clauses for why godly living among God's people is absolutely essential and is the necessary consequence of believing in the Lord Jesus by faith. This isn't something for super-Christians or just for preachers or anything just for people who think they're better than others. This is for people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 5, he gives a reason why. So that the Word of God may not be blasphemed. That people wouldn't scoff at His Word and say, well, it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't have any authority today. In verse 8, he gives another reason. So that an opponent of the Word of God might be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So he's saying to Titus, if someone were to accuse you of something, as they were about to get the words out of their mouth, they would be ashamed that they brought up your name because they can't find anything in your conduct to point out. They would be ashamed. And then in verse 10, which we just read, Another reason why it is absolutely essential that a Christian adorn the gospel and grow in godliness is because he says that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. After addressing Titus to be a faithful teacher and pastor in the local church, where he's to teach all men and women to pursue godliness, Paul moves on to address this last group, bondservants. It's the last group in the home makeup of society in the 60s AD in which Paul wrote this letter to Titus. And he's writing to Christians on the island of Crete. They are young Christians. They have not been in the faith very long. And so Paul is very carefully addressing these things. And he's saying that one way the gospel message will be authenticated for the people on Crete and even in our day, one way for the gospel message to be authenticated was for bondservants or slaves to begin living out their newfound freedom in Christ by the way they worked obediently, talked respectfully, and lived by loyalty. So this morning I want to look at this passage of Scripture under three headings. The first is some important distinctions. Point number two, redeemed living. And lastly, point number three, looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, some important distinctions. The word bondservant here in the book of Titus, means slave. 
Someone who was the property of a master and who this master had total control over their life, destiny, and all the activities that they did day in and day out. They were their property. Slaves in 60 AD, uh, slavery was not based on race. It was, in fact, people of all races who could become slaves in basically three ways. The first was through military conquest. The second, by being born into it. And lastly, due to a significant debt, where someone would join themselves to a master and say, I will work until this debt is paid off, and until I do, I am yours. Slavery didn't target only the uneducated or the socially deprived. Many were well-educated people, skilled individuals who held government positions and operated prosperous businesses. And in fact, in this time, in 60s AD, one-third of the population in Rome were slaves. One-third of the population was owned by someone else. This was the working class. No one else worked in Rome. These were people who worked by the sweat of their brow. One-third of the population. So you could see why it would be significant that Paul would speak to how they conduct themselves. Because if a group this size claimed to be Christian and lived like the rest of the world, it would put a scourge on the message and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no wonder people would scoff. Because if they claim to be Christians and yet live no different than us, then this Jesus who they say is the Savior of the world must not be that significant after all. And it is absolutely true that some masters were extraordinarily cruel. They brutalized slaves and they considered some of them no more than animate tools, no different than a hammer or a rake. And though the word slave is used, and it is an inflammatory word even in our day, it's important and helpful for us not to draw a straight line from this text in the Bible, or even the practices of the Bible, where we see this word mentioned, to the odious history of African American slavery in our own day. Some might be upset with Paul here and say, you're not condemning it, Paul, and accuse him of being a sympathizer or an endorser. But we should be very careful to observe a biblical principle of interpretation that Sinclair Ferguson wisely points out. We're to read every text of the Bible carefully, to ask, what is this text saying? And to also ask and be careful to listen, what is this text not saying? Paul here, as he has been building a case since the beginning of this letter, is saying that all people, everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, and claims to belong to Him, to know God, who claims to have salvation, who claims to have a home in heaven, has an obligation to so live now in this life as to draw attention to the saving power of God. Everyone, no matter where you are, you're required to live there. Just a brief aside, I don't have much time at all to address this. But some people, unfortunately, have used the Bible to say that there is a good basis for why we should have slavery and why no one should apologize for it and even accuse Paul of it. But I I will point out that Paul spoke against slavery. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, he said that those who would kidnap others, who would be slave traders, were the same kind of people who needed the law. He put them in the same lot as fornicators and other people who were classified as sinners. And I have to leave that where it is. And look at what the text is saying today. Paul is saying that everyone who names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ has an obligation to live wherever God has placed them 
to live to draw attention to the saving power of God. That if you claim to belong to Him, then you should draw attention with your life to the fact that He redeems people from sins. So that's point number one. Some important distinctions about this text. Point number two, redeemed living. The German philosopher Heinrich Ein said, Show me your redeemed life and I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. What we see about how these slaves were to live, they were the property of a master. They were to live in very specific ways. Paul says five very specific things about the way they should live. And I want to think broadly for just a moment about two of the words because they are significant. In verse 9 he uses the word well-pleasing. And then in verse 10 he says, living with all good fidelity. If you have your Bible, look over at Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 5 through 10. These are some significant words about how a bondservant, who was the, the servant of another person, how they were supposed to live. These instructions so that they would adorn the gospel in every area of their life. In Ephesians chapter 6 verses 5 through 10 he writes, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And then if you still have your Bible, turn over to Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. Paul writes, Colossians chapter 3 in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. They were to live in such a way as unto the Lord. In everything that they did, whether the master was good, whether he treated them right, whether he was harsh or threatening, or she demanded things of them that were unreasonable, expectations too high, or deadlines that were totally unthinkable, they were to work and to live and conduct themselves as unto the Lord. That everything they were doing, yes, it may have been under the eye of a physical person in front of them, but it was being done before the Lord Jesus Christ. It was being done before the Father in heaven. And they were to live as unto Him. They would one day give an account to Him of how their lives were to be. So He says, live and be well-pleasing. Do everything that you can to be pleasing to them because you are pleasing the Lord in how you live. And He says to live with all good fidelity. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, He writes to Timothy and says, Let, many, let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of honor, so that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. 
And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. This is almost unthinkable. You almost wonder, are you kidding, Paul? You not only said obey, but here you're talking about fidelity, loyalty. And you're saying I'm to give to a master who has the right of me like a piece of property or a tool in his toolbox. I'm to give him honor as unto the Lord. It would have been revolutionary in their day. And it is revolutionary today. To be well-pleasing in the New Testament is exclusively a reference to a person's being pleasing and acceptable to God. What Paul is advocating here is a life, is a view of life and station in life and usefulness primarily in the presence of God. And that it is on the basis of God's view and His approval of us and how we live that as they step out of the door daily and take up their responsibilities that they have in the world, they remember, I am His and He is mine. What can man do to me? What ultimately can burden can this person put on me that can hold me? Nothing can. I'm to live as unto the Lord. He says to live with all good fidelity. It either means to be trustworthy or loyal. That if someone gives something to you and it's their property, they believe they can trust you with it because you will be loyal. Loyalty is a word that is used as a relic today. Loyalty is something... Of the past. And when you see that quality in someone, you think to yourself, boy, that is an old soul, isn't it? Loyalty is something that we used to describe and even use in terms of thinking about great fidelity to this country, to this nation, to men and women who fought and gave their lives for an ideal, for freedom for you and me. That kind of loyalty and devotion is something where some people might say that's something of the past. Or even we might think of it in terms of marriage relationships or family. Loyalty and love for one another. Deferring to one another and preferring one another to other things. Well, that's a thing of the past. Loyalty is is not something we express today. So you can imagine how revolutionary this was for a group of people who were considered slaves to live in loyalty to someone who they called master. At a human level, this kind of quality is noble. For someone to be loyal and to say, I commit myself or I commit my life, I commit my honor, I commit my energy and my strength and my love and all of my fidelity to something, it is a noble thing. It is a noble sacrifice. But to view oneself in the watchful eye of the Savior demanded a special kind of devotion, a sincere desire to represent Him well. And that's what Paul is urging here. Those of you who are slaves, live as honors the Lord. Love Him. Live for Him in the midst of difficulty and harshness and darkness. Honor the Lord Jesus Christ with everything that you do. And he says that it's demonstrated by three things in redeemed living. Three specific things. He said in verse 9 that they will see it in your work ethic. By your obedience. And the word that he uses when he says to to be obedient to your own masters, what he's saying is, subject yourselves to them. Be well-pleasing to them in all things. Strive to please them. 
Strive to do what they ask you. And even as you live as unto the Lord, do more. Actually, the demands of Jesus on you are higher than anything an earthly master could ask you to do. So you should live as pleases the Lord and it will overwhelm that earthly master that you have. Be obedient to them. Don't use your newfound freedom in Christ as a reason to say, I have no responsibility to you. I live on a higher ground. I am a citizen of heaven. You can lay no claim to me. Paul says, don't do that. Don't work with reluctance. Don't be obstinate. Do your work as unto the Lord and honor Him. He also says in verse 9 that they live a redeemed life through their words. He says, don't answer back. There's no place for a Christian slave, he says, to, to make a habit of back-talking. That every time something is said to you, you have to have an answer. Or you have to have a correction. Or you didn't say it the right way. Or I did what you asked me. Even though you're saying I didn't do what you told me. I did exactly what you said. Don't have an argumentative spirit. Don't, don't use your words in a way that would denigrate the image of Christ in other people. And lastly, he says, in your redeemed living, do so with integrity in verse 10. Live with integrity. Don't be pilfering things. It's what I spoke about with the children this morning. There were many people who were masters who didn't live right where their servants were, where their slaves were. So they had the opportunity while the master wasn't looking or while he was away to skim some off of the top for themselves. After all, he doesn't take care of us. He doesn't really know what we need. It's okay if I take some for myself. And isn't this a principle even at work in the, the world that we live in today? If, if the cat is away, the mice will play. No one will notice if I take some off the top. But isn't that something that's even a scourge in our own country? That people would look us in the face and steal from us blindly and smile while doing it. You've got to be kidding. And so what Paul is saying is, this can't be the way that you live. You have been redeemed. Don't allow a little bit of money or a little piece of property or a little bit of something to cause you to have others say Jesus isn't real. Don't live a life so riddled with sin in front of other people that they say this Jesus who you say cleanses people from sins doesn't really do it. He doesn't really work on you. And lastly, he says, in redeemed living to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things, remember, this is in spite of treatment. Paul is not saying you're not treated harshly or it's not really that bad. He's not saying it's okay. He's not endorsing this. He's not a sympathizer. He is speaking to the way they're to live right where they are. I believe Paul is so convinced of this type of redeemed living that he's saying, I don't think we should have a full out assault. And this is my opinion. I don't think we should have a full out assault on this. I believe we subvert the entire system by being redeemed people in it. Who look at our masters as people who we can honor. And masters who look at slaves as people who are equal because we were made in the image of God together. And we both, with side by side, shoulder to shoulder, stand at the foot of the cross. And this momentary place where we are in this life is nothing but an opportunity to glorify God with how we live. That's my opinion about why Paul doesn't speak overtly to it here. He's saying, serve the Lord where you are. Grow where He has planted you. And I imagine if Paul can say this with all sincerity to bondservants, with a straight face, that they have an obligation to the Lord Jesus Christ to exalt Him where they live, especially in their station in life and their place in society, 
then most certainly you and I must submit ourselves to the sovereignty of God over our lives. That wherever God has placed us, we are not outside of His will. That He has us exactly where He wants us for His purposes that were foreordained for us to walk in. That is absolutely sure. You need to know that. It needs to be rock solid in your heart. I am exactly where God wants me to be. Because He is almighty, He is all-powerful. And if He wanted me in a different place, He would put me there. And so we cry out to the Lord for grace and mercy. Lord, help me to trust You where I am. Give me faith to believe that in this trial I can walk by faith. That You will pour out grace. That You will give me hope that the truth of Your Word is real. That Jesus by His Spirit is with me day in and day out. And that no trial separates me from His love and no sorrow can keep me from the One who gave His life on the cross for me. And that leads us to our last point, looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read some words to you that Peter used in speaking about this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-24, to 24, this should melt the heart of a person who says, I have rights. Who would say, actually we should lead a revolt. We should, we should lead some, some type of violence or push against the state. This is not what Paul had in mind. He was not speaking to this. The slaves shouldn't have an uprising. What he's saying here should melt their hearts. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but manifested in these last times for you, who through him believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love for the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God adores forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. He's saying live as unto the Lord, whether they are good or harsh with you. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change where you are. It doesn't change your status in Christ. Live as unto the Lord. And he also is saying, don't play the victim. Don't play the victim. I'm owed something because of this. I'm owed because of where I have been placed. There is something about my rights that has been denigrated. But look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to the one who stripped himself of every honor he could have had. He subjected himself to this life for you and for me. There's no greater love that has ever been demonstrated than the Lord Jesus Christ for His people. He clothed Himself with a body, bore the sins of His people on the cross. He endured the shame and the wrath of God for you and for me that we deserve. And lastly, looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe that this is as true as it was for them as it is for us today, that there is hope for us in dark places and grace for endurance in unspeakable sorrows. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is your heart heavy? Are the sorrows of your heart so deep that you feel like you can't breathe? 
Are the trials and difficulties of this life too much for you to bear? Look to the Lord Jesus. You will not find the resources in yourself. And they are not on the shelf at a store or in your cart on Amazon. They are in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Go to the one who said, take my yoke upon you. For my burden is easy and light and you will find rest for your souls. Paul says this is how God has chosen to demonstrate saving faith to an unbelieving world. By using the lowest in society who have no advocate other than the Lord Jesus before the Father. To live a transformed life that was, would be undeniably visible to their masters and to their neighbors. All of this for the glory of God. Faith at work. I ask you this morning, is your faith at work? Is it active and moving? Is Jesus big enough for the trials and the tribulations of your life? Are there struggles that you don't believe you can make it through and that He can't help you? Cry out to the Lord. He is there. He listens and He lifts up and binds up the brokenhearted. Let's pray. Father, I thank You and praise You for Your Word. I thank You that it speaks to us as clearly today in the issues of our day as it did to the people that You wrote it to. And I pray, Lord, for Your people here today at Lebanon, for those who aren't here in our church family who are going through significant things, that You would cause us all to have a vision of the Lord Jesus that is clear and sure that we would have a trust and a hope in You. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling under a weight of affliction. And I pray that You would give them peace and rest. Give them satisfaction in You. And Lord, we thank You and praise You that You are with us and that nothing can separate us from Your love. In Jesus' name, Amen.